Bible to turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible but have a phone, uh, which most do, uh, and you have the Bible app on your phone, you can open up that uh, Bible app and uh, click on the bottom right-hand corner of the home screen. And from there, then it'll take you to another screen um, where it says events. And if you click on events, then uh, you'll be able to see Restoration Church and uh, all of the verses that we'll be sharing this morning uh, are, are there on that app. Um, I was just asked uh, if kids are going downstairs uh, this morning, and they are not, because we want them to be a part of this gathering and to be able to share uh, with us ways that they have seen God at work uh, in their lives in the last year. So uh, kids, would love for you guys to be thinking about all the ways that you have seen uh, God work in your life and in the life of others. Um, and so I'm going to share just for a couple minutes here, and then uh, we're going to pass the microphone again. But uh, it was about a month ago, I was sitting in my driveway... After uh, our first snowstorm of the season, if you remember on that, uh, that afternoon when all of a sudden it just was whiteout conditions and uh, the first snowfall uh, happened on Halloween and I was sitting in the driveway with a, a fire and kid after kid came up and uh, wanted candy. And we had about 750 kids that came uh, up into our driveway on Central Avenue here in Zealand. And uh, most of the time, kids would uh, come up and they would just stick out their hand. And I'm like, where are the manners? Like, you know, like at least what are you going to say? And, and usually their parents would be like, say trick or treat. And uh, they'd go, meh, 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 and they'd stick out their hand and then uh, give them a piece of candy. And some would want two or three. And I'm like, no, I got uh, like 700 kids I get to give candy to. You're only going to get one. Um, but when they started to leave, for the most part, parents would say or would ask them the question, what do you say? What do you say after they receive candy? And they would look at me and they'd go, thank you. And then they would go on their way. And I appreciated that because most of the parents were like, what do you say? What do you say? Say thank you. Say thank you. And uh, most of them did. It was like the high school students that just walked away and didn't say anything. Um, but it was that, like, that attitude of gratitude, that spirit of thank you that I was just touched by. And I'm like, we as followers of Jesus need to live in, with that in mind every single day of our lives, just a gratitude, so thankful for all that God has given. I know for my life, so often uh, I'm just convicted that I come before the Lord and I'm like, I want this, I want this, you know, give me this, give me this, and I don't take the time, just simply say thank you. And so this morning, we want to publicly say thank you to the Lord for all that He's done. And I want to draw our attention to Luke chapter 17, and I want to make our way through this story, and I want to challenge us uh, with this story and with the example of one person. And so uh, starting in verse 11 of Luke 17, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And I want to just stop there. Like He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This, from the very beginning of, of Jesus' interactions with the people that we'll see in a little bit, this was scandalous. Because Jesus, being a Jew, didn't go through this area. They didn't go through Samaria or Galilee. You see up on the screen a picture of the, the area of, of Samaria and Galilee. They, uh, they did not go in that area because Jewish people were opposed to uh, Samaritans. They were enemies. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Uh, they were people that stayed around in the land when the Assyrian army came in and took them captive. 
um, and some of them intermarried with Assyrians and uh, produced offspring, and as a result, they were known as half-breeds. And so good Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. In fact, they would often cross the river, go across the Jordan River to get down to the southern part or the northern part. They would avoid that whole area of Samaria altogether. In fact, the Samaritans, they had their own place of worship. They wouldn't go to Jerusalem to worship. They had their own mountain on which they worship. And so there was this clash uh, between Samaritans and Jewish people. And so Jesus even being there was scandalous. And what he does next is going to be even more scandalous. So it says this, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now, we often like quickly pass over that verse. Here Jesus was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Ten individuals who had a skin condition that was highly contagious, a skin condition that there was no known cure for. It was incurable in that day, uh, different than today. Today, uh, people still get leprosy, but it's curable. But it was incurable, and, and actually for these ten lepers who were there standing off a distance, they knew their future. They knew that they were living their lives with limited days. And leprosy was a horrible disease, often starting small and progressing. It would get worse and worse. Uh, often, uh, one example of it, uh, people would get these ulcers all over their bodies, and they would start really small, and then they would grow and grow and grow, and uh, their eyebrows would fall out, and they would stink because these ulcers had uh, just this foul smell. Eventually, their voice would be, or their throat would be filled with ulcers, and their voice would become hoarse. Breathing and we, uh, would, would be difficult. Their hands and feet would ulcerate, and uh, slowly, this person who had leprosy would just be filled with all of these ulcers. An average course uh, life expectancy once person had this was about nine years, and it would end in mental decay, and eventually they would go into a coma, and eventually they would pass away. Other type of leprosy it would start with losing feeling in, in fingers or another body part. They lose sensation in the body and nerves would be affected and the muscles would, would waste away. The, the tendons in, in the hands would, would contract and, and make the, the fists just clinch at all times and, and slowly um, they would lose feeling all over their bodies. Their fingers and toes would fall off and this person who had this type of leprosy would live about 20 to 30 years. And it was a terrible progressive death in which a person died one inch at a time. And so here were these people with this horrible, horrible condition. Horrible condition. Usually diagnosed by a priest when they would, when they would see like a, a small little lesion on their hands or a small little um, thing on their body, and they would go to the priest and they would say, do I have leprosy? And, and he would diagnose them with leprosy. And then as a result of having leprosy, they would be isolated. They would be forced outside of the camp in fact, in Leviticus 13, it says this, if a person has leprosy, it says the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so you have these 10 people, and I want you to put yourself in that group of 10 people, that you are isolated, that you have this disease, that you know where it's going, that you are, are, are living your life, really it's a living death. 
You know that this disease is going to take your life. But on top of that, you are isolated. You're alone. You're like a public disgrace. People would walk by and they would say, unclean, unclean. And even the person who was had leprosy would have to declare themselves unclean, which meant they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship. So they were isolated. But on top of that, it was more than just a, a skin disease because they believed it was something internal that had resulted in, in a person having leprosy, that it caused someone to have leprosy. It was a result of sin. All throughout Scripture, you see that people, um, when there was a lack of faith, frankly, in, in Moses' day, when he was told to go back to Egypt, he was uh, questioning God. He was told to put his hand inside of his cloak, and it became leprous, right? Remember that in, in Exodus 4? Uh, Miriam, who who uh, doubted Moses and like, God doesn't just speak to Moses. You know, who is this Moses guy? Miriam uh, got leprosy because she complained about Moses. All throughout Scripture, we see that, that, that people, uh, because of some, some issue in their life, got leprosy. In fact, when God was looking at his people, uh, the Israelites, in Isaiah, this is how he described them as a sinful people. Isaiah 1, 4 through 6 says this, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And so I want you to, to let this picture sink in of a leprous person with no future, no hope, isolated by themselves. And here there were 10 of them. There were a group together. And Jesus is passing by. It says he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So together they lifted up their voices. They knew that their only cure was Jesus. With this incurable disease, they saw Jesus. They may have heard the stories. They may have heard the, about the miracles. And they looked at him and they said, this is our hope. He is our hope. He is our only shot. Jesus, have mercy on us goes on to say, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest, which would have instantly triggered something in their minds. Because if you go back to Leviticus 14, and we won't uh, this morning, but if you go back there, if somebody was cured of leprosy, the priest would go out of the camp, would go visit these lepers to see if they were actually healed of leprosy. And so part of the, the routine, once a person was cleaned of leprosy and healed of leprosy, if that ever happened, they would go, they would have this interaction with the priest, and the priest would say, yes, you're healed, or, or no, you're not healed. And so this phrase would have triggered something. Oh, something miraculous is happening. But then it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. I often put my mind in those situations, like what happened? When these 10 people were walking along and they, they knew they had spots on their skin and they knew they were sick and they knew they were isolated and they were told by Jesus to go back and show yourself to the priest and all of a sudden they saw the spots disappear. They looked at one another and they said, wow, you used to have this, this, this big old 
ulcer on your arm and like that's gone. Like I wonder what that interaction would have been like. What, what would have happened as they walked and as they were going, they were healed. Like would there all of a sudden been a, a song that rose up? Would there have been joy in their hearts? Like I would have loved to have been there when, when that was taking place. But we go from the 10 people all of a sudden to the one person and that's who I want to have us be challenged by this morning. It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. How do you feel when you read that verse? Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Makes you scratch your head a little bit, right? Like, wait, only one turned back? Weren't there ten? Weren't there ten that were healed, but one has the, the courage to say, whoa, something happened to me, and I'm turning back, and I'm going I'm to give thanks to the one who healed me. When I was thinking about this, the questions came into my mind. Like, why didn't the others turn back? Why didn't the other nine go with this one? Did they uh, realize how sick they were? Did they know where leprosy was, was going for them? Did they realize the gift that they had been given? Did they think maybe that they deserved to be healed? Like, oh yeah, that's right, I deserve to be healed. Did they feel like a sense of entitlement? Did life get busy and in the way and they forgot about the one who'd, heal, who'd healed them? Like, I think about that. Like, why don't we give thanks to God as often as we should? Because frankly, I look at the lepers and I look at their situation and that's us. That's us apart from Jesus. We were enemies of God. Apart from Jesus, we had no hope. We were lost in this world. But God, in his mercy, reached down into our lives and saved us and brought us into relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. You know, I want us to let this sink in. Nine people went on with their life living like nothing big happened. Like, no big deal. They didn't turn back and give thanks. They were indifferent. They were apathetic. They were not excited at all. It just doesn't make sense when you read about this story. It doesn't make sense. I can, I can imagine like them seeing a friend and them seeing a friend and, and the friend going like, weren't you healed? Like you had this disease and all of a sudden you don't have this disease. Did you go back and say thanks? And they're like, no, I didn't do that. That friend would be like, that doesn't make sense that you didn't go back and thank the one who healed you. We'd be frustrated. If that was a friend of ours who didn't give thanks, we would be like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. As we have talked this fall about a kingdom culture. I know at the very core of a kingdom culture, a culture that is so focused on the kingdom of God, we have to have a culture of celebration. A culture where we are celebrating what God is doing. A culture where we return over and over and over again to Jesus and tell him thank you for all that he's done. And this is what it looks like to live a life of celebration. It says, then the one man, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. This was a life-changing moment for this man. Jesus interrupted his life. He was sitting there in isolation, and Jesus came in and interrupted his life, and he moved from death to life, and he knew something huge had transformed in his life. It was life-changing, and so he turned back. Have you had that moment 
that life-changing moment in your life when the, the gospel hits you in the, in the core of your being and you recognize that you without Jesus was lost and you were brought into a relationship with God and that you can go boldly before the throne? Have you had that life-changing moment where you have been so loved by the King of kings and Lord of lords that you've, you've uh, understood the grace of Jesus not just in your mind but in your heart and has changed you? Have you had that life-changing moment? Because if it just stays up here, then I dare say we become like the nine that don't turn back. If we're like, oh, this is a nice idea. But when it penetrates our heart, we're wrecked. And we have to turn back. But then it says that he cried out. Cried out. He praised God with a loud voice. And I love this. It wasn't a quiet thanks. It was a thanks, a praise, so everybody could hear. This is the worship. This is the type of thanks that Jesus desires. You know, all throughout Scripture, we see people um, go way out of their comfort zone in giving praise to God. I think of King David when the ark was brought back to Israel. How did he worship? Did he just sit there like this? No, he was dancing. He was dancing, he stripped off his clothes and he was dancing. And in fact, his wife was like, this is the king, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm going to become even more undignified than this in my worship. I want people to know how great God is. People in the New Testament, when they worship Jesus and they do crazy things to, with Jesus and, and tell him how, how great he is, he never tells them to get quieter. In fact, with our worship, he tells us and them to get louder. Our worship our thanks to God should be loud. This wasn't just a quiet thanks. How can we be quiet when we realize all that Jesus has done? People have told me over the years, Dave, you're so passionate. I like your passion. And honestly, I think back to 1995 when Jesus wrecked my life. When I was living as a college student for myself and the Holy Spirit penetrated my heart and revealed to me the great love that Jesus has for me. And I went from living a life of, of selfishness and just thinking of myself to living a life of like, Jesus, you love me despite all that I've done? I was wrecked. And for 20 plus years, I've been wrecked ever since. I can't get enough of telling God how great he is because of all that he's done. We have got to live our lives loud with thanksgiving. Then he fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. And I think one thing that worship does and thanksgiving does is it puts us in a proper place before the Lord. I think there can be a great sense of entitlement that we have. And we think like, oh, of course God rescued me. Look how amazing I am. And we put ourselves like, yeah, no big deal. Of course he rescued me. But that needs to be broken off of our life. And we need to realize that without Jesus, we have nothing. We are nothing. That's only because of him that we have everything. And then it says, he gave him thanks. I want to end with what Jesus said, because I think this is so powerful. In verse 17, if you want to put it up there, Mallory. It says, then Jesus answered, and he saw the one return. Jesus was even a little perplexed, a little confused. And he says, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This type 
of worship is an expectation. I believe that Jesus has. That he wants us to be people who are filled with gratitude. Who live out of the overflow of all that he has done in our lives. And so this Thanksgiving weekend, I wanted to take some time. And I want us to challenge all of us to be loud in our Thanksgiving. To be loud in sharing what God has done. And so I wanted to open up uh, just some space here and have people pass the microphone and just share. I want to hear, uh, I want you to give testimony to what God has done in your life, to give thanks, to, to say, yep, this over the last year, this is what God has done in my life. This is how he has worked in my heart. And so uh, I'm going to ask, I'm, not, I'm done running around the, the space. So Zane, why don't you take a microphone? His eyes just got super huge. Um, so you can take that one. You can be on that side, okay? And uh, who else? Who wants, who wants the microphone on this side? I'll put Dan over here. Stretch out, stretch out. You need to run. Hopefully you run 110K in this building. So, yep, Zane, you're going to be responsible for the microphone on that side. So if you raise a hand, I would love to, for people to share how they're, uh, ways that they're thankful um, to what God has done in their life. So, Berta. And, and I was like, oh, and then I was like, wait, wait, there's hmm. nothing there. Wow. There's nothing there. Praise the Lord. And the re- I, I, ever since Jim and Diane came and prayed, I have had no pain. And believe me, I went through a long time of wincing and great pain. And not only am I thankful just for the, for the healing, but I'm thankful for restoration, being open to the full gospel and, you know, declaring that word that was um, spoken, the prophecy, you know, and, and people being willing to pray over one another. So that's huge. That Overall, that's what I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful for the healing of the broken ribs because... That made a huge difference in my life, but it's awesome. made a bigger difference just being in a body that's full gospel. Awesome. Thanks, Roberta. Praise the Lord. Many, 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 many things. Um, restoration as a church and as a characteristic of God. Like, I mean, he's just... Uh, I mean, restoration in my mind and my daughter's relationship, it's it's on the move. It's slow moving, but it is moving. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. Praise God for that. Um, uh, I'm still clean. It's awesome. So, you guys have been a a big part of that. Um, And uh, I got a little family going here. Stepson Jacks and my fiance Crystal, and they've been with me the last year, uh, and been a true blessing. Um, she's impacted me greatly, and uh, very, very, very grateful. Cool, awesome, Thank you. awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. <clears throat> Others.
Okay, so a couple things. Um, thank you for all praying for my little brother. I got to see him when my big brother got married a couple weeks ago. And he was, it was the night that we were, the, more, the night before we left, um, he was going to head back to my big brother's place where they were staying. And for about, I think it was a good 45 minutes, my little brother took down his walls mm. and actually opened up mm. to me and gave me a hug, not just a quick hug. And my brother has a very hard time with emotions. He was raised in isolation for the first two years of his life. Uh, and he gave me a really big hug and was actually like, hey, I miss my family. Hmm. So awesome. it's taken five awesome. years. Please keep praying. Maybe in another yeah. five years, his heart will come home. Yeah. Awesome. And not just Praise home, but to God. Um, so thank you so much. That was like, I started crying, and I was just like, thank you, Father, because that's my little brother. Hmm. Okay, so the other things is I got um, administered to college, Bible college. I start January. God has given me cool. opportunity and money, thankfully, to go. Uh, new job, new everything. So, And then... Um, with that, I still have struggles because, um, you know, we're all human. We're not perfect, so why would God use us, especially when we still have struggles? Um, I don't know where my life is going to go, but I thank all of you for helping me. Um, just this body is very strong. You can feel it as you walk through the door. Um and no matter how your life looks, as long as you know how much you are loved and who you are in Christ, Amen. that is better than anything in this world. Okay. I mean, um, someone like me, yes, Jesus is the reason to die, but Jesus is also the reason yeah. to live. Right. And live more than you can ever imagine. Yeah. So, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Others. Others, and I want to challenge those who are like, oh, I've never talked into that microphone. Like, we want to hear from, from a lot of people and different people. Like, what, uh, how have you seen God work in your life in the last year? Uh, what are you thankful to the Lord for? All right, Steve in the, Steve way in the back saying, you can give it to that first. You can, you can give it to her first. Um, seven years ago this month, my son Noah um, was in the hospital at Helen DeVos and was healed. Um, he could have died. And I'm thankful that you know God healed him. I'm thankful that there's some people in the body here that helped pray for him. And those prayers were greatly appreciated. And um, since then... You know, his mom and I divorced, and it's just been an ongoing thing of custody-related matters. And there's a new one that I received this week that's the biggest one yet um, to face. And um, you know, I try to remind myself when I hit something like that, that as unpleasant as going through those types of things are, that um, God healed Noah. I wouldn't have had to go through that at all if he wouldn't have healed him. I'm so grateful that he healed him. 
and for the time that that I've been able to be yeah. his earthly father, yeah. that blessing, and how it's opened up my eyes to how um, uh, God sacrificed his son um, for our sin and allowed his son to, to sacrifice um, himself for us. So thanks. Thanks, Steve. So I uh, last week, Sunday, I heard a, a pithy little statement with... Uh, the words entitlement and gratitude in the same sentence. Um, gratitude begins where entitlement ends. Mm. And that really hit me because uh, we probably live in the most entitled society yeah. that has ever existed yeah. on the face of the earth. And uh, I think sometimes as Christians, we, we think that we're entitled to a, a smooth life without trouble. And I was just reading in... Uh, I think it's uh, 2 Timothy 3, somewhere there, and it, it, it's talking about uh, the end times, but there's a line in there that Paul says, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. It's, it's not, uh, you might be, uh, if you're truly following Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. And I think sometimes in our lives, we, we forget that, especially in this country. Yeah. But I'm just thankful... Um, I got a large family, I'm involved in the lives of a lot of people, and uh, sometimes it's difficult, but what do we expect hmm. to follow Jesus? Mm -hmm. we, we shouldn't expect a, a, a smooth life. I mean, if, if, if our life is too smooth and easy, uh, what are we not doing? Hmm. Uh, I have to ask myself that. Um, to say that again, gratitude begins where yeah. entitlement ends. So um, just think about that. Yeah. Thanks, Rick. Others? I'm just thankful for another year of cancer free for Tabitha. Hmm. Um, and then, Amen. but on the flip side of that, on Tuesday she goes in for uh, a colonoscopy. Uh, to make sure that no masses have grown again. So it just puts a little bit of stress there again. Yep. So um, once cancer hits once, it's it seems like it's bound to come up again. So yep. we're just praying for uh, for that for this next year of no cancer again. So. Thanks, John. Others? I am thankful for God's faithfulness. A year ago, I was not even walking after my heart surgery and didn't know how long it was going to take. And um, He has just been faithful through it. Um, and he's been faithful in the way he's worked in the hearts of my kids to draw them closer to him yeah. as a result of it. So just give him the praise. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, a year ago, this month, you were uh, up in Grand Rapids, still in the hospital, after your heart procedure. So we're thankful that you're here. Others? I'm thankful I'm faster than my son with a microphone. <laughs> fantastic job. Um, I'm thankful for a young couple that's moving away from here, and uh, just for their example. And I know they'd probably be mad, but that I'm saying this, but Eric Charmaine, um, you guys are a shining light. Yeah. And 
to do what you're, you're countering culture by doing what you're doing. And that's just awesome. Uh, I appreciate the friendship. And uh, we'll definitely miss golf, but I'll probably miss the softball games even more. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. I was actually going to have uh, Eric, Eric share a little bit about uh, where the Lord is leading them. Um, so about six months ago, and, and Dave told me to talk for a couple of minutes, so I'll take advantage of this. Um, my wife's been walking with Jesus longer than me. And, you know, one of the reasons that Jesus died, the main reason is to bring us back into relationship with our father. And uh, I think too few Christians understand the intimate relationship that's available in, in Christ. Uh, we're not about religion. It's about relationship and life. And she came to me about six months ago and said, I think we're supposed to move to Detroit. And she grew up in Allendale. She's never even been to Detroit. And I was like, really? And I was like, let's uh, go over there. And I thought that we could go over there and I would dissuade her by showing her Detroit. Um, and exactly the opposite happened. Um, she was like, this is where we're supposed to be. And so, um, and we're moving right into the inner city. We're moving downtown Detroit. I said, if we're going to do that, we're not going to move to a suburb and we're going to move down in the trenches. And that's what we're doing. And so this is our last Sunday here. Um, and I want to publicly um, just thank you, Dave and Cece. Um, you've been at Restoration since almost the beginning and uh, been just blessed to be led by Dave and Cece. And as I, <clears throat> when I look around, I see so many of my brothers um, who have been just uh, instrumental in my walk and in my growth, and um, they know me, and they know one of my gifts is to challenge and to encourage. And, you know, one of the, everybody here knows that we're in a war, and one of the main tactics of our enemy is to make you think that you have all kinds of time. And that's a lie, right? We're one breath away from eternity, and I want you to think about this. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about Christians call it the Bema seed or the judgment seed of Christ. But this is where we're all headed, is to have this one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jesus. And the Bible says that every thought you've had, every word you've spoken, every deed you've done, every attitude and motivation of your heart is going to be tested by fire. Right? And the things that you've done in the flesh for selfish reasons, to gain privilege, to gain possessions, to gain reputation, all of the things that this culture values are going to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble, and you're going to suffer loss. And that doesn't mean that you're going to lose salvation. This is God's children. What the loss is is that you, Jesus is going to show you what you could have done different, and you're going to have regrets about what you could have done versus what you did. And conversely, he says the thing is, things that you do in the Spirit, um, that you'll receive a reward. And the Bible tells us over and over again that this Christian life is like a race and that we're told to run this race like we mean to earn the prize and the full reward.
And I tell you all of that because I don't care, when I look around this amazing body, I see people that are older, people that are younger, and a bunch of people in between, and God's not done with anybody here. Okay? Nobody is he done with. You are to run the rest of this race without lukewarmness and without lethargy. And this is the most affluent community around over here, right? Everybody over here has everything. But I tell you to shake that off and run this race like you mean it and finish your life strong because time is short. And so that's my challenge to you as we leave, that you would, um, you know, not be on the sideline. Again, every person in here has unique gifts, right? Every part of the body works differently, but everybody is called to good works that God's created. And the worst thing, most of my life is going to get burnt up like wood, hay, and stubble. And I refuse to let the enemy steal anymore. I am, by God's yeah. grace, going to finish my life and my race strong. Amen. And I encourage you to do the same thing. This is not goodbye from us. It's see you in a minute. I believe that we're going to collaborate with the west side of the state and the east side of the state, and, and God has something in store for all of us together. Um, but we are honored and privileged and blessed to be part of this community, and we leave with a full heart of love for you guys. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. And we love, we love you. We love uh, the way that uh, you've challenged uh, us and uh, you're challenging us and encouraging us through your example uh, by just faithfully following Jesus. And uh, I know one of the things that, Eric, you've said, like the, uh, at the heart of, of Christianity is uh, that we get that reconciled relationship, that we get to know the Lord. And that's what you desire uh, for yourself and for Charmaine and for all of us. And uh, so thank you for the ways that you've uh, challenged us uh, and been a part of this body for almost three years. So. We'll be praying. We'll pray for you before our time is done this morning. Others? Yeah, I just want to testify to the really the goodness of God. Way back in January, my husband and I um, uh, were just trying to figure out where we're going next, how, how we wanted things to look. And we had... The Lord visited us um, in some incredible encounters in January that we'd never experienced before, but he, he literally visited us in the night, um, and he gave us some dreams. We, we just had a few weeks there where um, we knew he was doing something supernatural, something unusual, and... Um, we didn't know what we didn't know what for, you know. But it was like, wow, this is amazing. This is great, you know. Um, and and then we kind of hit hit a bit of a rough spot, and things were like, what the what is going on here? But because he visited us in the beginning, we had something to hold on to, and we had we knew that God was moving. God was doing something. There was a bigger picture, and we just needed to keep our focus on Him and be obedient to the doors that he was opening. And he has brought us um, to where we are, you know, at the end of the year, just seeing his faithfulness and how he, he gave us strength, he, he gave us clarity, he began to put things together in place. But how good of God to visit us at the beginning, before anything, would ha anything had happened, to say, I'm here for you, I've got a plan, I've got a bigger picture in place, just keep your eye on me. 
Thank Amen. you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jeanette. Philippians, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And I just want to encourage us this morning that uh, don't give up to keep persevering, to keep going even in the midst of difficulties. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and it's one step at a time. Um, he will be faithful to complete the work that he has started in you. I want to give praise that Jacob and Caleb were baptized last Sunday after our gathering. So we're thankful to the Lord for that. I love that. Anybody else? One or two more. I won't go into the whole story, but a lot of people know what or kind of sort of what has happened in the last year for myself and for my family, but I'm just so thankful for my family and where I'm at. It's better. Um, a year ago, over a year ago, my life come crashing down because of my selfishness. And when you have to leave your home, being let out by your own brothers from here, there's something wrong. And I went through a lot of homework, a lot of searching in my soul, saying, yes, I'm a Christ follower, but through it all, I had to sort this out. God is faithful. I have a family that has hung on to me and welcomed me back. It's awesome. Is life perfect now? No. But it's a heck of a lot better than what it was. And I can't say thank you enough to every single one of you people in here. Because when I come here, I get re-energized about life and about what Jesus means to me but how he works in everybody's lives. So thank you, thank you. Um, it's been a sucky year, but it's been good because I know now I've needed it badly. And I can see with a lot clearer eyes where I'm at, but what my family, who do you hurt the most? The ones that are closest to you, right? And my family had to endure that. And for that, I'm really, really sorry. And they've heard this before, but I'm seeing it through a different lens today. And I want to make it right, but I couldn't have done it without every single one of you guys that are seated in this church. To be honest with you, I didn't even know how. Even Dan over there with the peace sign. Nobody knows about it. Now, I'm just going to tell this quick. I wasn't allowed to come to church here. So I was doing it live stream. You feel left out because you see everybody you know here. Well, at men's Bible study, I mentioned it. Um, that was kind of hard. Well, Dan and me came up with this thing. The live stream shows down here on Dave down here. So a lot of times Dan and Rose are sitting towards here to make me feel comfortable, to make me feel at home. Dan would give me the peace sign. And so whether you guys are doing communion or church is over or whatever, there went that peace sign. And that was me going, yes, I'm part of that. So every single one of you guys, I know everybody don't know the whole story, but I just thank you so much. Restoration Church is about restoration. So I just thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Galen.
I want to, thank you, I want to have uh, the worship team come up here, and we're going to just close, let's just close with goodness of God. Can we do that one? Um, I want to share this in, in, in light of what Galen shared. Um, I won't share all the details, but there was a significant moment in my life over this last year where I saw God work in powerful ways, such a powerful way that a community took notice. And uh, I'll, go, I'll share just a, a little bit about that. Um, uh, with the situation that Galen was referring to, uh, a group of us were at a, um, uh, uh, a public place where there was a hearing going on and, and so a public official uh, was talking about um, uh, talking to, to the family and sharing about the situation. And uh, this public official said this, um, and I, I will never forget this, uh, said, so tell me, let me get this straight. The same people that confronted you, the same people that, that addressed the situation, were the same ones that walked with you and, and provided space for you uh, to get things back right, walked with you, prayed with you, cared for you, you and your whole family, and supported you all the way through this. And after that person made that statement, they looked down and they just said, this just shows there are some things the government just doesn't need to get involved with. And you know what? The Lord gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. God, though, works through His people, works through all of you. And that, for me, is like, that's the greatest vision when it comes to a church. Like, we are the, the people of God who are empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of God in this community so that people can see and recognize not us, but the one who saved us. And so that is the vision of a church where people are getting into, into the dirty places and praying with one another and walking with one another. And that's why I have so much hope. Not because we are all that great, but because God is so great. And God just wants to work through us. And so I look at Eric and Charmaine and their steps of obedience. And I want to challenge all of us to take those steps of obedience. When you feel that prompting, that nudge of the Holy Spirit, do it. Act out in obedience. Go the extra mile. Pray with somebody. Get into that uncomfortable conversation with somebody. Like Go the extra mile. You never know what God is going to do with your obedience and with your yes. And again, He receives all the glory. It's not about us. It's about him. He receives all the glory.